Welcome to the One Climbs Podcast, a show about exploring life through the lens of theology, scripture, symbolism, and ideas that uplift the human mind. About 74 BC, somewhere in the Americas, there existed a group of people called the Zoramites, who were descendants of a man named Zoram. And if you recall, that's Laban's servant who was taken into the wilderness with Lehi's family. They were concerned about people from Jerusalem knowing they had fled and coming after them. Nearly 600 years later, this group of people had separated from the Nephites and had formed their own sect. And their current leader, whose name happened to be Zoram as well, is leading them into idolatry and such. Now, they care about these people and they want to recover them, but they're also afraid that these guys are going to go and join the Lamanites and give the Lamanites even more strength and then come against them in the future. And they don't want to see that happen. So Alma and a group of chosen companions go on an expedition to visit them and they witness something that they find quite astonishing. So they've rejected the law of Moses. They ignored daily prayer, which is so that they might not enter into temptation, by the way. And they've perverted the ways of the Lord in many different instances. But the most unique aspect of their practice was this place of standing, which was positioned high above the head, and it would only allow for a single person to go up there. And they called this this thing the Ramiumptum or the Holy Stand. And so they would climb up there or there were steps or something. They would go to the top and they would stand up there, stretch their hands toward heaven in a dramatic way, and then cry in a loud voice the words of this prayer. And everyone who went up there would say exactly the same thing. And they would say something to the effect that God is a spirit and will be forever, that they've separated themselves from their brethren, whose traditions they see as childish, and they've that they've been elected and they're the holy children of God. There'll be no Christ and that they're going to be saved and everyone else is going to be cast down to hell. And again, they're, they're glad that they've been elected and not led away after the foolish traditions of their fathers and this belief in Jesus Christ. So they're very much against the idea of Christ. They think everyone who believes that is going to be thrust down to hell and that they are God's elected children and they're the only ones that are going to be saved. And so once per week, they would assemble, they would all go up there, say the exact same thing, and then head home and they'd never speak about God again till the next week. So Alma and his companions, they are astonished beyond measure, it says, when they see these types of practices. Now, number one, they're concerned that these people have adopted these ideas, which they see as being apostate, and that number two, they're going up there in this very strange manner and reinforcing these ideas over and over again. And it is quite odd, but it could be looked at as some kind of uh, brainwashing or another term you can use for this is an echo chamber that they had created for their false narratives, right? And so their religious worship was designed to continually reinforce bad ideas. But this kind of begs the question, how do you teach consistent doctrines and principles without becoming an echo chamber yourself? Can you create an echo chamber for good things? 
and constantly reinforce good things? Or is an echo chamber only bad when it's full of bad ideas? Is there something wrong with the idea of an echo chamber, period? And I think there is. So it's interesting to kind of think about this because we look at what we're doing and our own religious practice, whatever your religious practice may be. And are you creating an echo chamber? Is it bad? And if so, why? In these guys' case, for one thing, they unmoored themselves from scripture and the law of Moses at the time. And they had created this new type of religious practice that was honing in on these things that made them feel good and that made them feel validated. And they were all going up and validating themselves. This circle of validation they have created and there wasn't any way to challenge the status quo or check and balance things. And I think that's part of the problem here. So one of the fun things you can do is go do a search for a manual called Teaching No Greater Call. So search that, Teaching No Greater Call Manual. And look at the painting that they chose for the cover. And ask yourself for a minute, if you remember, it's a picture of Jesus and he's standing in a synagogue with some scrolls and he's reading. And, and if you don't know the story behind that scene, Jesus is announcing that the scriptures he's reading have been fulfilled that day in their ears. And he's about to get himself thrown off a cliff by people in the next scene, right? So, so why would they choose for the cover of a manual, Jesus about to be basically attacked and killed by the people listening to him in this situation? Now, did somebody just find this painting and say, oh, it's a picture of Jesus teaching. We're going to use this. Or did they consider the the story of what's happening here and put this here for a specific reason. I think that maybe they did because if you look at the bottom of the painting, you see one guy listening attentively. And if you look throughout the painting, you see other people's faces, their hands are up on their chins, like they're thinking and pondering. But in the bottom right, there's a guy and he has this expression on his face. He's turning, he's looking away from the teacher He's holding up his hand and he's got this look on his face like, what the heck is this guy talking about, right? And so why would you feature that painting? Well, I think that when teaching happens, when real teaching is happening and people are being called to repentance and, and we're reaching for the truth, we're going to say things that not everyone is going to like because all of us right now believe things that simply aren't true, that are maybe caricatures of the truth or that are completely wrong. And so all of us right now, we have those beliefs. And so when we gather together, I mean, isn't it important that each of us, each of us gets closer to the truth through the process of really examining our beliefs and looking at the scriptures and reflecting them back to us instead of just going to church and having this uplifting experience and walking away happy and unchallenged every week. I mean, that to me seems like it's more of this echo chamber that doesn't allow for growth. Should we be more challenged at church, right? Should we 
be way more challenging to each other in a way that prompts growth instead of stagnation and hollow validation. Well, it seems that more and more there's this pressure in society, in the secular society, to not rock any boats. We're so afraid of offending others that we let truth remain in the shadows. And certain people are shouted down. They're not allowed to say things. It's a very, I hate using the word toxic, but it is a toxic situation. And, uh, you know, there's this Jordan Peterson quote that comes to mind. And he said, when you have something to say, silence is a lie. Now think about that at church. You're sitting there in the chair. Something is said and you have something to say. Well, if you don't say it, that silence is a lie. It is. Because if you're not going to say it and you're going to allow the thing that you disagree with to just remain, you might as well speak up and say something. It's not a bad thing to say, hey, I'd like to push back on that and let me explain why. You could do it in a nice way. Just because you disagree with somebody, it doesn't mean you're being disagreeable. Nephi taught that the righteous love the truth and they fear it not. And so if somebody is angry at the truth because it upsets their own personal worldview or challenges their status or their ideology or whatever, that's really their problem to deal with. It's not your problem. We should not let incorrect teachings stand, especially if we know they're wrong. But on the flip side, maybe we're the ones in error. And if we speak up and share our perspective and say, well, I heard it's this, and I think this is true. Well, someone could come back and go, well, actually, da, 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 and show you that you're the one that's in error right? And then that, that becomes your problem. Are you going to continue to believe the thing that's wrong because you've invested so much in the idea? You really like the idea. You've made it part of your ideology, part of your personality and identity. Are you going to come and accept the truth and discard the false ideas? Or are you going to continue to stay with those false ideas because it's difficult to do so? Well, then the, again, the problem is with you, right? The problem's with me. The problem is holding on to things that are not correct because we prefer the comfort of the validation and the comfort of being right. Now, it doesn't mean being right is wrong. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, with the Zoramites, it wasn't just they were teaching the wrong kinds of things, but they had systematized their errors into this perpetual reinforcement. And we can do the same thing if we're not careful. We can make a ramiumptum out of anything, a pulpit, an online forum or group, a group of friends, or even our own families can become these echo chambers. But it's good for ideas to be challenged and exercised even. Truth has nothing to fear. It's the falsehoods that cannot endure under closer scrutiny. So I think in the situations we're in, whether it's our families, whether it's a church, whether it's the groups that we're in or our own personal study, we have to be willing to allow our ideas, ideas to be challenged. You know, I, I find it really helpful to ask whenever there's an idea that I have, where does this idea come from? And to trace it back. And we can have our pet ideas, these favorite concepts, because for whatever reason, they bring us something, some type of benefit by having these ideas. And we don't want to let go of them. And that's how you stay firmly rooted in error. And that's how errors build upon errors. And then you get to the point where you're building this holy stand and standing at the top and screaming about how 
you're better than everyone else and everyone else is going to hell and you're going to be saved and and it's good that they belong in hell and blah, blah, blah. And you get this separation, the us and them mentality instead of this general love. And they were casting people out of their churches for not having the right clothes. I mean, they were, they couldn't see that they were in this state because of this echo chamber they were in. It, it had, it had caused them to lose track of reality. And so that can definitely happen to us at church, no matter what church you go to or what religion you're in, you can fall into the same error. Even if you have no religion at all, you can still fall into the error on any topic of, of being in this type of echo chamber. I hadn't really looked at the story of the Zoramites in this way until very recently. It just kind of popped into my head for some reason as I'm observing the world and then thinking about the scriptures, this just kind of came into my mind and made me realize that in so many ways, we repeat the same things that we see in scripture over and over again. We just don't necessarily identify them with ourselves because we're looking at the stories too literally. And that's where Nephi is wise in that he says he likened the words of scriptures unto himself and unto his family and, and situation that he was in. They were always likening the scriptures to themselves. They were trying to see how those scriptures fit into their current circumstances. And they would draw strength from that. They would eliminate error and they would find ways of direction that were productive. And so I think that's where... We really have to do the same thing and not go back and mock some of these stories and people in the scriptures and say, oh, those guys were idiots. And then, then we find out we're doing the exact same thing, right? We're missing the entire point because we don't see the connection. We think we're more advanced. We think intelligent. And here we are doing the exact same thing. So anyway, always amazing lessons to be learned from the scriptures and Think about that and how some of these things could be affecting you in your lives, in the lives of people around you. And look to the example of how Alma and his, his brethren confront these people and how they're able to work through some of those difficulties in some instances and how they weren't able to in others. And so I think that we can use the scriptures to allow us to see things from both sides and how we could potentially find answers and resolve some of these things in our own lives. Hey, thanks for listening today and stay tuned for the next episode of the One Climbs podcast.